0: Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. This week, we're going to talk about Ontario's uh, psychological, yeah, that too, psychology regulatory board. It's trying to force Jordan Peterson to take a social media retraining course after complaints from the public at the risk of losing his license. We're going to turn to activist group Gays Against Groomers. And they are telling the plain, unvarnished truth about the fact that transing children is Munchausen syndrome by proxy. It is poisoning the children. It is creating medical illness in otherwise healthy children. They deserve a round of applause for that because very few people will say it. And we're going to end the show up talking about how the new current thing that is terrifying the population and policymakers is gas cook stoves. And this shows the straining cracks in our collective ability to even be able to think for ourselves. First, point of personal privilege. You know, I've talked about mommy tone on the show before. It's the tone of voice that NPR, female NPR listeners uh, use. They talk um, something like this, they're really sort of close to the microphone. And they speak, and it's not breathy, but it's a little bit low. It's like they're your mom, but it's a little bit seductive at the same time. It's supposed to comfort you, make you feel warm and included. It's disgusting. It it, it, it makes my skin crawl. Something similar is creeping into voiceovers in commercials. If you're a YouTube viewer, you may have stumbled across some of these. I'm telling you, I really want to do a show soon. If I can figure out how to do this, and if you know how to do this, would you please leave a comment? On YouTube, underneath this episode, um, I'd really appreciate it. What I want to do is directly get to YouTube's commercials—the pre-roll commercials and the 10-second or the whole one-minute ones that they put in there automatically. I want to see those directly. If I could do just an hour of that, I would love to do a show on these commercials. So, if you know how to do that, let me know. So, I get a lot of—I um, get a lot of commercials about vacation homes. I'm <laughs> not really sure why. Um, I was expecting to get commercials about you know, being unhoused <laughs> and other things appropriate to my currently unemployed status. But I get all these uh, Verbo and Airbnb and all this sort of stuff. And I've noticed they're using... And it's, and it's not just one or two commercials. There are one or two that stick out, but it's a lot of commercials they're all turning to very young women, women who sound like they're maybe 21 years old, and they're using this tone of voice that's, well, let me see if I can do it. So, you, you, you know, imagine you see a family getting out of a car, going into a, a, a lovely uh, Georgian brick home, a black family, of course, because they're the only families today, and you hear uh, a woman saying this. When you were in a verbal vacation home you have privacy it's 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 almost alexandria ocasio cortez it's making the mouth really small it sounds like they are trying to sound like a little girl no verbal vacation home not vacation vacation you know it's it's like the same girls who say thank you thanks (laughs) i'm seeing a lot of it hearing a lot of it lately it's driving me nuts um, I thought about putting that into a segment called Things That Annoy Josh, but what's the point? That's this entire show. Let's talk about Jordan Peterson. So Jordan Peterson, the famous Canadian psychologist, has been picked at and had tomatoes thrown at him from just about everybody for years since he stood up and said no to Canada's Bill C-16, which made it Illegal or punishable in certain contexts for people to fail to use the right gender pronouns. He just said no. And although he didn't say it this directly in the beginning, he has come around to understanding that direct language is better. His response is, piss the fuck off. Which is the correct response. Well, it escalates. Peterson announced um, last week, I think this has been going on throughout the year in 2022, but this is the first time he announced it. He announced that the Ontario College of Psychologists, that's the regulatory body in the Ontario province, uh, the province of Ontario, the regulatory body, government body that regulates psychologists and hands out licenses. They have demanded that he submit to mandatory social media communications training or risk losing his license. So here's a tweet from Jordan Breaking. Um, The Ontario College of Psychologists has demanded that I submit myself to mandatory social media communications retraining with their experts for, among other crimes, retweeting Pierre Polievre and criticizing Justin Trudeau and his political allies. Oh, surely not. They wouldn't do that, would they? Let's see. Uh, Peterson outlined some of the complaints against him, um, and he says that they all come from members of the public, meaning none of the complaints lodged with this regulatory board came from patients of Jordan Peterson's. He's never met these people in his life so he has now jordan has filed suit against the college asking the ontario superior court of justice to quash the college's inquiry and investigation into him he says it's straight outside its remit the college to oversee psychology practice and is now directly policing speech and he put up a long document that has all of the complaints and all of the correspondence with the college of psychologists he put it up on google drive i'm going to be referring to it yes it will be in the show notes Um, so wait until uh, you've gotten done with this. Go back. You'll see this link in the show notes so you can see everything that I've seen that I show you today. These complaints range from he said unprofessional things on Joe Rogan's podcast to he's using the title of psychologist to comment on things outside his area of expertise, and you should tell him to be quiet. We're going to take just a couple examples, just illustrations, to show you the kinds of complaints that these are. This document is voluminous. There are more than a dozen complaints in there. Um, I didn't actually count them up. Some of them look duplicative. Uh, But this is just a sample to, to give you a flavor. So here is a complaint from February 16, 2022. Quote, to whom it may concern, it is against every ethical standard and best practice of the U.S. National Association of Social Workers Code of Ethics to make light of, encourage, joke about, or reference the topic of suicide in a manner that is not grounded in safety, prevention, and evidence-based therapeutic intervention. That's the first paragraph of this complaint. Remember, Jordan Peterson is a Canadian citizen who lives and works in the province of Ontario. He is not a social worker, and he, he is not an American, and he is not a member of, nor is he governed by, the U.S. National Social Work Organization's Code of Ethics, okay? Remember that, because I think our complainant forgot. Complaint goes on. I am sure that Canada's standards of professional psychology slash social work are similar. I am submitting a formal complaint not only for Jordan Peterson's original tweet, but for the fact that he just shared it again, promoting the idea that what he did was perfectly fine. Thank you. For your time and naturally all the names of all the complainants are redacted and blacked out so Jordan Peterson gets to uh, face this publicly we don't get to know the names of his accusers I don't even know if he himself gets to know the names of his accusers you know that that's part of the U.S. Constitution right habeas corpus um no I think I'm now that's produced the body um I'm screwing it up. <laughs> it is part of the U.S. Constitution, though. It's, uh, we, we, we have the right to face our accusers. You know their names. All right. So an American who is never Jordan Peterson's client has a complaint as a social worker, an American social worker. She, and you know full well this is a woman, she believes Peterson should be bound by the standards of her profession in her country. Social work, which is just HR nagging with a supercharger and a halo around it. This is something, this is a complaint that the college took seriously and it included in what I think of as their indictment of Peterson. Would you like to see the tweet from Jordan Peterson that prompted this complaint? Here it is. It's a response to somebody named Roger Palfrey and Roger wrote this. I disagree. Based on the record of human behavior, we are already overpopulating this small world. Any arguments I have heard for supporting such a large human population completely overlook the huge loss of species and ecosystems resulting from our self-absorbed attention. So that's what Roger said. Peterson's reply was, you're free to leave at any point. That's it. That's the tweet. That's it. That's the tweet. (laughs) So that is encouraging suicide. According to the complainant, what Jordan Peterson wrote there, you're free to leave at any point, is encouraging suicide, mocking suicide. People killed themselves over that tweet, didn't they? Right? Right? Here's something no one wants to say but every single person knows is true. No one killed themselves over that tweet and no one ever will. But if someone had, just assume it, if someone had, hold on to yourself here, I'm about to get spicy, do you know whose responsibility that suicide would be? That person's responsibility, not Jordan Peterson's, not the author of whatever tweet it was that drove them to suicide. The person responsible for a suicide is the person who killed himself. He is the only person responsible for his suicide. End of conversation. You notice this creeping idea that other people, other people, especially people with public platforms, other people are directly responsible for other people's health, other people's mental health, other people's physical health, and other people's emotional feelings about the safety of yet other people. No one is responsible for their own feelings, no one is responsible for their own actions, Everyone is forced to or driven to or oppressed into. Complete external locus of control. That is now a mainstream cultural value. Let's look at another complaint. And note carefully, the complainant that I'm about to share with you, the complainant indicated on her form that she was Peterson's client, that she did see him as a psychotherapist, that she did lie down on his couch. She said that in this formal complaint with her signature on it course, we can't see the signature, of course, remember, anonymous. So she lied, and the college also accepted this complaint as valid. Quote, Dr. Jordan Peterson has publicly opined that no Children's Aid Society intervention is required in a public review of the Ottawa Trucker protest. The Ottawa Police Service has announced the participation of the Children's Aid Society an attempt to ensure the safety of the children in their safe removal following any parental removal blah, 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 blah. You hear the bureaucrat speak, right? This is an average to dim person, not a bright person, but an average or slightly dim person trying to sound like she is an educated white-collar professional who knows how to speak and write. Um, She probably is an educated white-collar professional, but she can't speak and write um, because standards have slipped. This isn't prose, it's Lefty Mad Libs. Insert capitalized title, insert overly complicated verb, round out with field jargon to make it sound professional, and definitely don't do subject-verb agreement. <laughs> That's modern writing for you. <laughs> it continues. Dr. Peterson's February 17, 2022 remarks undermine public trust in his judgment as a mandatory reporter. Here's what's going on here. What she's referring to... You remember the Ottawa trucker protest. The provincial police came down like Nazis. Yes, I mean Nazis. I don't mean it as a funny, I mean it directly. They came down like Nazis or Gestapo on these truckers who were protesting Trudeau and started taking their children away from them. They actually fomented this, this fake outrage that these people were abusing children by, by criticizing the government. This woman who's complaining against Peterson, she's angry. That Peterson said this isn't a good idea, that this is bad. She believes he should be disciplined because he disagreed with that decision. That's how crazed these people are. A mandatory reporter is a term used for professionals such as teachers doctors and counselors people in a role who are supervising or helping children many of them are legally required to report evidence or suspicions of abuse or neglect the law requires them to do this that's what the term mandatory reporter means. so she's saying that the public can't trust Jordan as a mandatory reporter anymore because he didn't support the illegal Gestapo removal of people's children from truckers who weren't breaking any laws Ooh. would you like to see the tweet would you like to see the tweet that prompted this complaint here it is again it is jordan responding to someone else's tweet the originals from the publication the post-millennial hi libby interim ottawa chief police says he is working with social services and freedom convoy protesters to quote have children removed from the area prior to any sort of police action jordan peterson replied to this he said children removed how exactly? Why exactly? By whom exactly? Sent to where exactly? And for how long exactly? Do you notice Peterson here? I'm sorry, I'm interrupting the quote again. You notice Peterson here? I love that he does this. This is why I do this. You know, I say, give me specifics. Ah ah ah. Nope. No, nope. don't talk around it. Give me detail. You said this thing happened. Tell me exactly how it happened. Be specific. You have to do that these days because people don't want to be specific. They want to create an emotional atmosphere uh, rather than answer your question. So that's what he said. Um, Think this through, Canadians. This is a bad decision. That ended his, his tweet. So this complainant is claiming that since Peterson disagreed with Ottawa's decision to start snatching children away from law-abiding truckers protesting in Ottawa, that that means that he himself, Jordan, is untrustworthy. He's not allowed to disagree and say, this is not child abuse and what you're doing is an abuse of your power. He may not say that because if he disagrees, that means he's bad and it means he's dangerous. It's as simple and as terrifying as that. And again, as a reminder, the college considered this a valid complaint. The regulatory board accepted this complaint and used it in their indictment against Jordan Peterson. They also accepted complaints from other people um, that uh, said, well, Jordan Peterson questioned vaccine policy and he, he questioned COVID protocols on the Joe Rogan podcast. They wouldn't even say the Joe Rogan experience in the actual complaint. They just say a podcast. They literally can't bring themselves to type out the word Joe Rogan. That's how fucking stupid these people are. Um, they also accepted complaints that he misgendered Ellen Page by not calling that woman Elliot like she wants to be called. All of these were valid complaints according to the college. So... I'm going to show you three images right now. You're not going to be able to read them all. They're all full pages. I just want you to see them so that you can see the actual document we're talking about. Um, It's not possible to read it. I'm going to pull out a couple of quotes uh, from you. It's three pages long. So here's the acknowledgement and undertaking, that's what they call it, from the College of Psychologists, the regulatory board that holds Jordan's license. Page one. Page two. And finally, with the signature block, page three. Twenty-four items over three pages. They want him, Jordan, to sign this. They want him to speak these words. He refuses. Good. Here's a couple quotes. Number one. Again, these are the words that they want Jordan to sign his name to. So these are words that they wish him to speak. I acknowledge that the Inquiries, Complaints, and Reports Committee of the College of Psychologists of Ontario is concerned about the following aspects of my public statements contained in the Registrar's Report dated May 17, 2022, that I may have lacked professionalism in public statements made on social media and during a January 25, 2022 podcast appearance. That's where they wouldn't say Joe Rogan. (laughs) I may have loud professionalism in my pummeling statements. Sit and spin. Number two. I undertake to work with either Dr. Erica Abner, LLM, LLB, Ph.D., or... Gail Siskind, RNMA, to review, reflect on, and ameliorate my professionalism in public statements. <laughs> I undertake to work with, do you? So either Erica Abner or Gail Siskind. Gail Siskind, RNMA, registered nurse and master of arts. Jordan Peterson, possibly the most famous psychologist in the world, is going to benefit from a social media training course with a nurse. That's not insulting, is it? Nothing against nurses, but who the hell do you think you are? (laughs) And here's Dr. Erica Abner, who describes herself as a lawyer specializing in ethics and professionalism. No red flags there. Or how about this one? 13, number 13. I am fully responsible for any and all costs associated with satisfaction of the terms of this acknowledgement and undertaking. So he has to pay Dr. Abner or Nurse Siskind. And Peterson says it's $225 an hour. Or number 24. I understand that if the coach, <laughs> I'm breaking away here. <laughs> if you could see it, you'd understand what I mean. They capitalize the word coach. These people do that a lot. Improper capitalization that doesn't follow uh, English orthographic rules to make ordinary thing, ordinary things, right? Here, capital O, capital T, make them real special. So, I understand that if the coach. Does not provide a final report indicating that the acknowledged concerns above have been appropriately remedied in the public interest. I will not be considered to have successfully complied with this undertaking. This may constitute professional misconduct and the registrar may proceed to investigate the matter in accordance with the health profession's procedural This is a hostage letter they want him to sign. This is the same kind of hostage letter I was forced to write confessing my sins of being a bad boy to my mother in order to stay off punishment in the institution for troubled boys that I was dumped in as a teenager. This is the same kind of hostage letter that actual communist regimes and terrorists force captives to read on camera at gunpoint. It's sickening, it's totalitarian, it's dystopian, but it's real. Notice how everything is camouflaged by an alleged concern for what they call the public interest. Safety, health, preventing harm, caring for others, caring for the public. Oh, there's so much love, it can't possibly be kept in one container. These are the linguistic tells of a dictatorial regime or institution. There's nothing caring about it, and there is nothing caring in the people behind it, nothing. Regulatory boards. Like this one, um, I'm not as familiar with with the Canadian system, but I, I I do I do happen to know that their regulatory board system parallels the system that we have in the United States in every um, really um, important way. All these agencies that are set up in provinces or in states to allegedly protect the public and to discipline bad practitioners, regulatory boards are nothing but medieval trade guilds. They're not new. They're not modern. They're not in any way different from the guilds of royal tailors in Tudor, England. They operate on sumptuary laws. Only you can wear this. Only you can say this. You can't. You're not high status enough. They dictate what members of these regulated professions can do and say, when they can say it, who they can say it to, what they can sell, and what hoops they have to jump through in order to earn and to keep their license. And if you're not a member of their guild, they will go after you in court if they can. I've seen it happen. They've tried to do it to me. I've spent 20 years studying, among other things, funeral regulatory boards in the United States in my last job. Every state has one. Well, it's a handful. A couple don't. Um they're analogous to the, the physician's board, the board of plumbers and electricians. Uh, they're analogous to all the other useless boards that should all be blasted off the face of the planet. All of these boards, but but my special expertise is in the funeral industry, so I'll kind of restrict a lot of my comments to them. They were created by the funeral industry itself, and this is the case for most of these most of these boards. The industry themselves created these because if they do, they can write the regulations. They were created by the industry itself in order to raise the standards of emission into the trade so high that only those who are already established would be able to break through. And if you're not in the guild, um, in today's world, if you don't have a, a state or a provincially based license, they believe, these boards believe they can legally prevent private citizens from speaking about the topic that they regulate. So funeral regulatory boards have never helped consumers or protected any public or consumer interest. They ignore legitimate consumer complaints and they entertain complaints very quickly from competitors against other competitors by guild members who don't want those competitors to exist. So as an example, the Ohio Funeral and Regulatory Board made noise about uh, many years back, possibly accusing me of practicing funeral service without a license because I co-wrote a book it's called Final Rights Reclaiming the American Way of Death I co-wrote a book that puts funeral and burial law and consumer protection law in each of the 50 US states into plain everyday ordinary English for the average reader so I took complicated legal concepts and I put them into plain language so that people could help themselves so what exercised this board the most well in the book I wrote correctly and accurately, that citizens have the right to prepare and bury their own dead. Yep, that's right. I mean everything from washing the body to putting clothes on it, transporting the body. They can do all of those things without hiring a commercial funeral home to do it. They're not legally required to give up custody of the body to somebody else. That's what pissed them off enough to think that it might have been a good idea to try to charge me with practicing funeral service without a license for telling people the truth about their legal rights. You didn't know that, did you? You had no idea before I just said that, 98% of you. Some of you I know right now, because I've, I've done this in public, you're going, really? Think about why you didn't know that it was legally possible to provide funeral care to your own loved ones. Think about why you believed that. Ask yourself why you find it shocking. What led you to believe that the very same loved one, say your grandfather, what led you to believe that it was perfectly fine for you to bathe grandpa, to feed him, to help change his IV when he's in a hospital bed in the downstairs living room. You did all those things for him. You might've changed his diaper and bathed him. That was fine. Why did it suddenly become illegal, bad, and scary to do those very same things simply because his heart stopped beating? I'm being silent to give you a moment to contemplate that. Do you see what I mean? It's emotion, it's not rationality. Exact same thing. Um, Jordan Peterson refuses to defend himself against these people. He will not answer these charges. He will not sign that undertaking. Instead, he took him to court. Good for him. Godspeed. Be like Jordan Peterson. We're coming up to a break here. I want to remind you, we would love to have you in our members-only Discord, and we would really love to have your support for the show. A couple of ways to do it, join us on Substack, Substack, uh, .substack disaffectedpod.substack.com. You can also choose to use the platform Subscribestar. Go to subscribestar.com slash disaffected and sign up. And at the $10 level or higher, you get 24-7 access to our Discord chat server. We do special uh, behind-the-scenes recordings of audio episodes there that you will get an invitation to as a member and a supporter. And there's a lot of people talking about things that you would like to talk to. Thanks very much. We'll see you after the break. Can't get enough of our love, baby? that's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more, and all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options, either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. back time for viewer mail i told you last week some of a story from jack who's in our discord hi jack about how nothing works anymore nobody can do their job nobody actually cares to do their job well there's more in his computer saga so we're going to continue this we're going to think of it as a syrup this is your stories like your grandma used to look at so jack writes So I finally found the PC I needed via Dell. Four days ago, I ordered it online, and then today I checked in on the order, and it was canceled. Nobody told me. So I called them, and they said it's because they can't deliver to my office. I spent 90 minutes on the phone, jumping through hoops, until someone finally redid the order with my home address, and guess what? They did it to my office address again. So half an hour later, I got a call from Sandeep saying that they can't deliver the order because they can't ship to my office address. So two hours of phone calls, and I still don't have a computer, and it's 8 p.m., and I have still not finished my work. I wonder how many more times Jack will have to go through this with Sandeep or someone else. You know my friend Holly, who writes her, her substack, Holly the Math Elf. You should be reading her substack if you're not. It's very good. Um, she has a particular bugbear about the U.S. Post Office, and she's not wrong. She has been talking about how the United States Postal Service has become broken, and it has. It delivers mail when it feels like it. It feels like it. It segregates packages from the normal envelope delivery. This is new. This is new normal. You never saw this before, guys. Remember. Maybe a few of you in rural areas. I'm not sure. But you got today's mail, and if today's mail included packages and envelopes, you got both of them. Not now. No. They're sending out mail carriers with envelope mail, according to Holly. Um, And even if... Even if the Postal Service website, their tracking feature that's part of the cost you pay when you send something, even if it says it's out for delivery, your package, it's not. And I've experienced this too. She's not wrong. It's not only her. It's not just because she lives where she lives. This happens to me at work. Happens to me at home. In fact, over the past year, I am getting mail at my home maybe twice a week. I used to get it every single day. I don't particularly like the mail, okay? Don't get me wrong. For stupid reasons, but also just because I don't like sorting things that I don't feel I should have to sort. <laughs> I don't like the mail. It's not like I'm looking forward to the mail coming every day. But I can't predict when I'm going to get bills. I can't predict when I'm going to get a package. It just doesn't exist anymore. Um, and this all happened in, in two years, two, two and a half years. 20 years I worked at Funeral Consumers Alliance, and one of one of the things that we did, one of our sidelines in income, was a small book order business. My book, for example, Final Rights, was one that we sold. We also sold uh, funeral planning workbooks that people could, could write in uh, who didn't want to use the digital products, and a couple other end-of-life-related books. Um, so we had a small mail order business. For 20 years, when I first took the job, we uh, we did whatever the customer wanted. If the customer wanted UPS, we, we traveled ourselves down to UPS or we traveled ourselves down to FedEx. And I said, uh-uh, no, that's not. I'm not going to do that. Um, we're going to use one shipper. And um, I'm not actually going to get in my car and go to several different places around town every single day for one or two people. So I decided we were going to use the USPS. And I have used the USPS as our primary shipper for 20 years. And for 18 of those 20 years... It was clockwork, predictable, efficient, reliable, almost always showed up when promised, and affordable. I loved, notice the past tense, I loved the U.S. Postal Service. This was a great institution. It is ruined. All that is gone in two years. And well, I'll add in a little bit more. I knew this was going to happen. Why? Because I judge books by their covers and I connect dots and I come up with patterns. And I started to notice, this started a little bit before COVID, but COVID really kicked it into full swing. The sloppy appearance of mail carriers. Never saw this before in my life. Always people with their shirt tucked in wearing a regulation uniform. Not now. No one tucks their shirt, or if they do, they tuck it in on one side and their gut's hanging out the other and there's food stains on their shirt. Sometimes they're not even wearing USPS uniforms at all. They might be wearing the shorts, but they're wearing some band's T-shirt. Nobody cares. No one gives a single shit. All this crumbling infrastructure is because no one cares. No one's motivated to care. There are no consequences for not caring. You still get your paycheck. It's just like during COVID. If you choose not to work, the government will just pay your bills for you. All right, let's go to the Department of Delusion. (laughs) But Josh, we've been there already. (laughs) Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. What I'm about to show you is a parody. This account is a parody, but what it's talking about is not, sadly. So Dr. Jebra... Fouche says, <laughs> Madonna is 64. That's what good, clean living does. Reverses the aging process. It reminds me of one of my favorite lines from the movie Death Becomes Her when the uh, the character who has the magical youth potion uh, played by Isabel Rosalini says to Meryl Streep, it stops the aging process dead in its tracks and forces it into retreat. Drink this potion, and you'll never grow even one day older. Don't drink it, and continue to watch yourself rot. <laughs> so, let's see how Madonna has reversed the aging process. Bring! <laughs> if I don't laugh, I will cry. She looks like an angry Korean woman who didn't get a call back after her audition for Star Trek Discovery. What is this? Look at her. <laughs> okay. It, look, every, almost every celebrity, every big celebrity gets some plastic surgery done. A little facelift, a little eye lift, some skin resurfacing. Part of it goes with the territory. And I've been watching this bitch for a long time. The amount of money that I have spent on her records, her CDs, concert tickets, front row concert tickets—I have furnished rooms in this woman's house. Okay, so I have been watching her, and I have seen her up close many times. I've been in the front row. I've seen her live in person. Up until about 2016, she looked great. Yeah, she'd had work done. You, I mean, you, but you could only tell because quite literally, and I'm talking with the bare eyes here, looking at her six feet away from me. She just looked like a younger version of herself. She looked beautiful, but she looked like Madonna Ciccone. She doesn't look like anybody. I mean, yeah, you can see it's her, but it's, it's like, what is it? Was it that Doctor Who moisturized me, that stretched skin lady? Oh, my God. Well, there's delusion, and then there's dangerous delusion. So let's get into the serious part. I want to give big kudos to the newly formed activist group Gays Against Groomers. And if if you're hearing about this, um, I'm going to get in touch with you guys. Jamie, I don't know you, but I, I've seen your name a lot. I'd like to have you on the show. I'm sorry I haven't been in touch before. Um, but what, what you guys are doing is absolutely fantastic. This group is going around the country. They're showing up at school boards. They're protesting books like Gender Queer that have Uh, explicit sex depicted in them and that are being sold to parents in school districts as LGBTQ plus affirming like this is what the gay people and everyone else needs because the gay people are the same as trans people and gays against groomers saying no hello we're homosexuals this is bullshit it's pedophilia and it's grooming and we want no part of it and what I really like about them is that they're telling the truth about about what transing children is. So let's look at um, this tweet here. It says, how about a little trans by proxy to start your day? These parents should be arrested for child abuse. Parents are the problem too. Yes, ma'am or sir. And there are only two choices. <laughs> Pick one. <laughs> That's right. Parents are the problem too. Yep, there are parents out there who have been coerced. There are parents who are very gullible, who mean to do the right thing and have been pushed down this pathway. I've seen that pressure exerted on some of my family members. But the buck stops with the parents. A parent who chooses to put their child on puberty blockers, a parent who chooses to use cross-sex hormones on their child, is abusing their child. I do not care whether they believe they're abusing them, and I don't care if they think they love their kid. And I don't give a shit if... Anyone watching doesn't like me saying not nice things about parents. I'm getting real sick of hearing about how we need to have sympathy for these poor, coerced parents. Piss off. You really mean to tell me that we need to have sympathy for grown adults who make this choice? They're not actually forced into doing this. Okay? Okay. Don't, don't come back with, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but what about this one case where they said that they would take the children if they did not transition them? Then you run. Then you take your child and you go on the lamb Yes. You don't say yes to that. You don't say, well, I want to keep my child so we better cut her tits off. What's wrong with people? You take your child and you go into hiding. Done. No excuses. None. Oh boy, I forgot my borderline glasses again. So we're gonna look at a couple of, um, we're gonna look at a couple of tweets and I'm gonna try to read them. These are all from parents who are transing their children and they're crowing about it in public. So here's a picture of a young girl. Uh, Thankfully, her identity is obscured. She is apparently 11 years old, pretending to be a boy and it says, oh my goodness. This one is so small, I can't actually read it, so we're going to go to the next one. (laughs) Join, please pledge to us, please go to Substack or Subscribestar, because Papa needs 16 new pairs of borderline glasses from the dollar store, okay? And I don't have a job right now, so you guys need to help, okay? All right, so the next one says this. It's a picture of a young man Looks like he might be 11 or 12 years old. Mom and dad on either side of him. The gender clinic. It's a post from somebody called Transgender Parenting. My daughter, Joe, got her hormone blocker implant in today. It was done in the surgeon's office. It's super quick. For those who are looking into options, let me tell you about this one. Once you are once we were called back, my daughter sat on the doctor's table and the nurses helped prep. And it goes on and on and on. There's no her daughter here. There's no daughter, Joe. There's a son. There's a little boy right there who's a real person with a real sex identity as a male. You freaks. How about another one? This is from Trans Army. Interesting, huh? The morning my 10-year-old son got his hormone blocker, again, no 10-year-old son. There's a 10-year-old girl here. She has a daughter, not a son. The morning my 10-year-old son got his hormone blocker, he came out about 16 month, 18 months ago as Noah after being non-binary for six months. I'm so glad I have the resources to get him the hormone blocker implant. I'm so glad it's available to kids. I'm so happy he's benefiting from science and will never have to deal with periods as he grows as a young man. Yay, science. Let's make it so all insurance covers this as a necessary procedure. I'm lucky to have pretty decent insurance, but just the implant, anesthesia, and surgery cost $11,000. That's ridiculous. Let's advocate for healthcare that's affordable and accessible for all. I love my son. He'll always be the most important person in my life, and I'll do everything I can for him. Sending love to all of you. Or another one. Again, from Transgender Parenting. Shows a picture of a child. (laughs) Yeah, again. This is a young woman called my son, sitting in an uncomfortable-looking posture in a doctor's office. Here's what mummy has to say. This cool kid went for his Lupron Depot shot today. The endocrinologist told us there is another blocker that is only injected every six months instead of three. Is there anyone out there who has both? And can tell me if there's a difference in side effects, efficacy, and pain during and after injection? My son is mostly concerned with the pain aspect, and I fully understand that. Thank you. Oh, and he's not interested in the implant. We have discussed options but didn't know there was a different injectable option. Now I'll tell you something else. All right, I, I argued with myself privately about whether I was going to say this, so I'll not, I'll not dither in, in front of the microphone. I'll just tell you. My last day of work at Funeral Consumers Alliance, um, I was in email correspondence with someone who was a longtime colleague, someone who served on the board of directors, and someone who had become a personal friend over the years, someone whose home I had stayed in when traveling, um, someone I liked a lot really enjoyed this person's company this woman her and on the last day she um, she was gonna make a donation to the organization and of course because I was still there these emails were coming in to me and she had a difficulty uh, with the donation processor and I wrote back and I said I'm sorry about that so and so will be able to help you with that this is gonna be my last day uh, so you you won't receive email from me at the stress any longer. Take care. And she writes back. You know, mind you, this was a. F- you know, I've known this woman for, 15, 16 years. I haven't spoken candidly with each other for at least three years. You'll you'll hear why. She writes, I miss the relationship we ha- we had. So I said. Hmm, that's nice. Interesting, too, to hear you say that today. Because a word of support or just a little bit of encouragement when everyone was calling for my head and calling for me to be fired would have been so appreciated. That's all I said. And do I get back? I figured you'd understand remembering that I have a trans son. Well, I wrote back very candidly and said, you don't have a trans son, you have a daughter with severe mental illness. You and your family are collaborating in that mental illness. You are hurting your daughter. You have sidelined people from your life who live in reality because you are in a cult. And you are part of a mainstream cult and your actions and the actions of people like you are doing incredible damage to children in this country and they are doing damage to communities the social fabric and intimate relationships I want nothing to do with you there's there's no there's no more place or time here for pussyfooting around it's easy it's easy to criticize people who are anonymous to you people who just show up on social media it's easier to say what you think about their abusive parenting it's harder to do when it's somebody you know thankfully i'm not in that situation very frequently and most people aren't well i suppose more people are than ever It's hard to know how to feel when you think you know somebody and you see the things that they're willing to do in this cult, the things they're willing to collaborate with as their children are harmed. It's hard to, it's hard to reconcile who is this person who, who in so many other ways is, is intelligent and caring. I, I, don't know, I don't know how to reconcile it, but this is what I do know. There isn't a single person anymore. I don't care how close they are to me. If my blood kin were doing this, I would be exactly as candid as I was with this former friend. I wish you would be too. I'm not saying that that's the first thing to say out of the gate. I'm not saying that you should come out all guns blazing in the first conversation. But sooner or later, it's time to put up or shut up. And if you've got friends who are abusing their children, why aren't you saying something? We'll see you after the break. There's a new perk for disaffected subscribers, and it's a good one. Patreon and Subscribestar donors, as well as PayPal donors, now have instant access to our backstage Discord server. Join multiple topic-based chat rooms and 24-7 open voice chat, and even virtual events on a main stage for hosted conversations and backstage podcast recording sessions. It's not Twitter, and you don't have to pretend Bruce Jenner's vagina is real. Sign up today. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Welcome back. This closing segment is adapted from an essay that I wrote on Substack. So that's the kind of thing that you'll get if you join and you read our Substack. Be terrified right now, God damn you. That is what modern hysterics are really saying to all of us. Be terrified along with me right now at my exact emotional pitch or I'm going to scream and point at you on the street, Donald Sutherland invasion of the Body Snatchers style. People who are scared want to be reassured. But people who are scared, and for those of you listening, hear the air quotes, people who are scared want you to be scared along with them. If you're not scared along with them, Prepare for them to denounce you and question your very commitment to humanity. And what's the difference between scared people and scared people, aside from the quotation marks? Quite a lot. Genuinely scared people have a hard time controlling their fear. When we're in fear, we're in fight or flight mode. We say and do things quickly without thinking, we get snappish, we might yell, sometimes we might get a little hysterical, This is normal in a genuine fear response. Fearful fearful people, genuinely fearful people, are grateful to have either the actual danger vanquished or to learn that the calamity they fear is not actually going to happen. They breathe a sigh of relief. Scared people are different. They're not actually fearful in any genuine way that most people would agree is reasonable and proportionate to the circumstances. Scared people are manipulators. Some of them are conscious manipulators, but many of them aren't actually conscious of that. They're not going forth with a uh, fully conscious intent to deceive, necessarily. They may believe that they're genuinely scared. They're not, though. They're acting out an emotional psychodrama that uses the imagery and the affectations of genuine fear as psychological props as a theater would use an easy chair and a table with a doily to evoke a domestic family scene scared people use histrionics and doomsaying to evoke an atmosphere of danger these are different projects who are the scared people well in 2023 it's largely liberals progressives democrats And also all the people who describe themselves this way, but who are actually Marxists and communists. In case you're wondering, the answer is yes. I am characterizing fully 50% of the U.S. population as either Marxist or as Marxist sympathetic. Affirmative. I do mean that. And that's extreme, Josh. That's what you want to say. Is it? Having spent most of my adult life as a progressive liberal Democrat, I can now recognize that I was sympathetic to Marxist, collectivist, statist, and authoritarian policies. No, I didn't know that my politics could be described that way when I held them. And I would have said what a liberal Democrat might want to say to me right now. That's just a right-wing extremist insult. It's not. I mean neither to exaggerate nor to insult anyone. I don't think fully 50% of the population is psychopathic. I don't think they're irremediably corrupted, and I don't think that 50% of the country is evil. I think the vast majority of this 50% is misguided and severely manipulated in ways that they have not been able to detect yet. And what exactly are they scared of? This week, it is, of all things, gas stoves. The appliance that millions of Americans and people around the world have relied on for more than 100 years to cook their food and heat their their homes in the form of a furnace. They discovered this fear literally yesterday or the day before. Literally. When they were told that a study found that more than 12% of childhood asthma cases are attributable to gas stoves, an Australian study. And the study found these things to be true. I'm not going to parse the study here. I'm not going to detail the problems with the study's methodology. I am aware of them, and there are people better qualified than me who have written about them. You can easily find it online. So I'm not going to parse that, and I'm not going to counter it with other studies either. And I don't want you to do that either. And I don't want you to believe that you are obligated to do that in order to have an opinion or to draw any conclusions and say something about it. Drop a chair a little closer to me. A little closer. Here's the deal this is bullshit. You know it's bullshit. I know it's bullshit. We all know this is bullshit. Common sense alone is enough to see through this. Aren't I being kind of crude though? A little un-nuanced and anti-academic? Yes, I am. And I hope that you will too. Over the past 10 to 15 years, all of us, you, you listening to me right now, your dad, me, my friends, we have all been slowly conditioned into a new view of epistemology, of, of of how we are able to know things. We now believe that we can't know things. We, we can't know them. We can't know things about the world around us without a study or, here the capital letters, peer-reviewed science to tell us that we can know it. Even those of you who agree with me, and you might be nodding your heads along, you have taken on this epistemological view to some degree as well and I know this because when I talk about this when I write about it I can see the the ways that that people talk to me couch their comments in various conversational places with caveats and disclaimers and I don't have the study to hand I can see that you've taken it on along with the rest of us and I know it because I fell into this trap Myself along with most of the people around me by slow degrees. We've been eased into believing that the most banal observations about breathing air Encountering viruses or one piece of matter touching and affecting another piece of matter somehow observing this requires a peer reviewed paper recognized by the science This is new and I mean This is 21st century new. That's how new this attitude is. It's not something you remember from your childhood if you're older than Generation C. Really turn that over in your mind. Would you think about that? I think you'll agree, if you give yourself a chance to step back and look at it as an outside observer, I think you'd come to the same conclusion. Isn't it downright strange how diffident we've become about knowing anything? Let's walk through gas stoves are killing our children using only everyday ordinary sense. And this works best as as a list. So number one, five days ago, it would not have occurred to any American to fear their gas stove, wouldn't have. Number two, the only thing that changed was media attention and Marxist progressive claims by agenda-driven scientists. Three, the kind of people who are scared of gas stoves jumped immediately to proposals to ban them at the state or federal level as in the very next day after the media pushed this study the very next day ban it ban it ban it number four Somehow, despite hundreds of millions of homes the Western world over using gas cook stoves and furnaces for more than a century, no one has ever noticed that it was making children have asthma attacks. Do you truly believe that children were getting sick all this time and that no one anywhere ever noticed it and no one anywhere drew a correlation to gas stoves? Maybe you're like me. Maybe you've spent most of your life living in homes that are heated by natural gas and most of your life cooking on gas stoves. Tell me, have you ever noticed your children or anyone in your household getting unusually sick or asthmatic? Do you truly believe it's plausible that the 45 minutes you run your stove to make soup every day is causing chronic respiratory problems? Do you believe that your house is hermetically sealed? Do you actually believe that your house is airtight and does not exchange air with the outside? Does your carbon monoxide detector go off when you cook an egg? Number five, blue cities around America have been bragging about their natural gas bus fleets for years. You see these signs that say this bus runs on clean burning natural gas. It's a common sign you can still see on city buses. Think back just a few years, five or 10 will do, but think back 20 just to be safe. Remember all those commercials and public service announcements about clean burning natural gas, how it released many fewer pollutants than say plants that are fired on oil or coal? This was something even the lefties were on board with. You might have been one of them. Remember, it was just yesterday in historic terms that we all agreed on the reality that natural gas is, in fact, one of the cleanest burning fossil fuels. Were we wrong all along? Did we just learn this week that natural gas is a big, dirty, nasty polluter? You may have noticed something else. Scared people have a tendency to be scared By a number of things that strangely correlate to the aesthetic preferences of progressive, liberal, Marxist-oriented people. What are they? Number one, cigarette smoke. Anywhere, in any quantity. Even a whiff on a street corner is harming my health. Yes, people did say that and they do say that. Do you actually genuinely believe that your risk of getting lung cancer has risen appreciably because you had to get a whiff of a cigarette while you walked home on the outdoor street from the post office? Scared people claim that they do believe this. That's how they justify their actual goal, which is controlling other people and being able to be seen looking moral while they're doing it, with things like smoking bans in parks and on city streets. Number two, diesel. Diesel was also recently touted, certainly within the past 15 years, but also uh, in the 70s and early 80s, for its fuel efficiency. But suddenly, with no explanation, the miles per gallon have been completely forgotten, and diesel has become capital B bad, and everyone knows it. Number three, incandescent light bulbs. And then compact fluorescent bulbs, the replacement for those horrible, bad, dirty incandescent bulbs, they just became dirty last year. Vermont just banned compact fluorescent bulbs. (laughs) Number four thing that they're aesthetically turned off by, the human immune response unprompted by vaccines. Now, This isn't fully worked out in my mind yet, but I'm mulling an idea that there's something about direct encounters with the physical world that disgusts and repels liberal progressive Democrats. It seems to me that the less mediation there is by computerized technology, the less complicated and high-tech a device or an action is, the more these people seem to loathe it. These attitudes are only possible in a Western culture that is almost entirely untethered from reality. I don't just mean untethered from truthful political ideas or true and accurate social ideas although I do mean that. I don't mean just that. We are actually untethered to the real physical material reality in which we live. We are digitized. Our instruction, our work, our education, our ent- our entertainment is all digitized. Nearly everything we encounter is mediated by digital files, digital processes, digital machines. We don't experience even the consumeristic material culture that's been part of the 20th century. We don't experience it the way we did just a few years ago. We never touch a record, a cassette, or a CD. We press a virtual button on a virtual screen. Arcane and invisible magic goes on silently in these opaque black boxes that we call a computer or a smartphone. We don't have to turn our car headlights on or off anymore. car anticipates this and does it for us. We don't have to experience the jarring way that appliances used to, I don't know, execute user commands instantly when you push the button. We don't have to put up with that anymore. Have you noticed the delays built into nearly every computerized device that you interact with these days? The fan in your car heater comes on slowly and gradually without you touching it. The courtesy dome light brightens and dims very slowly and very gently. The automatic teller machine takes about twice as long in 2023 as it used to to dispense your cash because it asks you 16 different questions. But there are also gaps, built-in delays of up to two to five seconds. Yes, I've timed these things. That are now built into each gap between the steps in a transaction. The screens won't even just change. They slowly dissolve from one thing to another. When I was a kid the only device that acted this way was a luxury car like a Cadillac. I was amazed at how you pushed a button and the trunk slowly released and and raised up and then it very gently went back down and when it got to the latch it went you real softly because it you know it would be vulgar if it made a noise, right? This is, I guess this was supposed to feel luxurious, but now it's in everything. It, And I know, I'm getting to the end here, folks, I promise. I know it's easy to write off what I'm saying right now is cranky old man syndrome. To say that I'm just being nostalgic and emotional about a world that doesn't exist anymore because I'm a stupid oldie and I can't deal with change. And it, anyway, it was just a stupid world and... You only don't like 2023 20, because you're mad that you're not young and hot anymore. <laughs> I know. Everyone over 30 gets a lot of that. But it isn't that. There are consequences to being ever further removed from physical touch, physical interaction with the real world. Basic skills of observation that come from the sensations that we get when the hand talks to the receptors in the brain, these atrophy when they're not used. We lose basic skills. We even lose the memory that tells us that we once had these skills. None of us can remember more than one or two phone numbers anymore. Most of us would panic and lose touch with a hundred friends if our phone crashed because we haven't written down a physical address on paper in decades and don't even think about asking someone if they've memorized it. We live precariously. When we are this isolated from the material world, we are malleable. We believe that we don't know anything and that we can't know anything. Only experts know things, only public health scientists, only computer engineers, only peer-reviewed studies have real knowledge. This isn't real life, what we're living. This is a Jenga tower. The aim of that game is to build the highest possible tower out of interlacing blocks and then to carefully remove a single block from the bottom of the tower without causing a collapse. But eventually, every Jenga tower collapses. There's one block in one particular position that bears the weight and the load of the entire structure. We don't know which one it is until we try. But there's always one, and the tower always collapses in the end. I'll see you next week. There's a new perk for disaffected subscribers, and it's a good one. Patreon and Subscribestar donors, as well as PayPal donors, now have instant access to our backstage Discord server. Join multiple topic-based chat rooms and 24-7 open voice chat, and even virtual events on a main stage for hosted conversations and backstage podcast recording sessions. It's not Twitter, and you don't have to pretend Bruce Jenner's vagina is real. Sign up today.